Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Mum Talk, hosted by myself, Emma Jolin, mum to Amandine, who was born in September 2018. If you are new here on this podcast, I share my journey as a mum from pregnancy to life with a baby, now toddler, sharing all the highs and all the lows. Not only am I joined by incredibly knowledgeable guests, some experts in their field, but also mums and dads sharing their experience of pregnancy and parenthood. As always, you can trust in mum talk to be honest real and informative and provide plenty of nod along and me too moments wherever you may be thank you for listening and enjoy being part of today's conversation So today I'm joined by Hattie Frank, certified baby and toddler sleep consultant, founder of Not Another Peep. And as you all know, Hattie kindly reached out when Amandine wasn't sleeping well and she agreed to come on the podcast. So here she is. We have a lot of questions to get through and we will do our very best to get through them all. But please remember Hattie is there to help. So get in touch with her at notanotherpeep.com. She's also on Instagram at notanotherpeep. So first of all, Hattie, let's start by outlining the perfect sleep setting for little ones and things to check initially if they are waking up. Okay, well, firstly, thank you so much for um, for having me and for the um, brilliant questions we've um, we've had so far. Um, so for um, little little babies, so I'm going to sort of talk about sort of up to sort of four months, particularly from from the first um, sort of you know naught to four months, and then for older children, sleep environment's really really key and. One of the main things I think we sort of get stuck on, particularly in these early stages, is um, trying to try, just trying to get the child to sleep, and they're not thinking about what's actually surrounding the, the, the baby. What we want to try and create is this sort of perfect environment for a child to fall asleep in. And although it feels like it's the most logical thing when you say it out loud, sometimes we're not actually applying what uh, what we know can help sleep. So. Darkness is one of the main things. And from sort of around six weeks, I'd really sort of encourage you, um, if you have a newborn or um, are sort of due anytime soon, is from around six weeks, babies go through a sort of particularly fussy phase. And um, that, in my sort of books, is, is really when you really want to start trying to get into a bit of routine. And that's not to say every day is going to look the same. It's certainly not, because before that four-month sleep regression is very much about just trying to create um, the perfect sleep environment, um, providing sustainable props and uh, uh, conducive to sleep um, habits and environment, but also just trying to get that sleep in full stop. So whether that's being assisted in, in the pram or in a sling, I'm not too worried about that point. And it's really after four months you really need to start looking at trying to help the child to, um, if you want to call it self-settling, settling unaided, so without being rocked. But the most important thing is looking for those awake windows at that age. So sleep environment for a, sort of a younger child, but this really carries on through for most uh, most of children's lives into adulthood, is a, ter- a sort of perfectly dark environment. Darkness helps the production of melatonin, so that's obviously going to be helpful towards their sort of you know them falling asleep. So, but it also acts as a a way to sort of um, block out any visual stimuli. So a dark environment. And quite interesting, when I have sort of intake forms, I have clients and they say, um, oh, yeah, it's, it's really, really dark. Um, and then you look on a video. I always ask for a video of the bedroom and it's almost broad daylight in the day. And obviously we're trying to get the baby to sleep in the middle of the day and trying to sort of block out any noise and excitement for perhaps other children or the dogs or, you know, everything to a newborn child is exciting. You know, whether mm. it's the sort of shapes on a wall or the shadows from sort of, you know, the sun coming up. So a really dark environment 
pitch pitch black ideally is preferable now if you have to turn on a light to feed them or change them that's one thing but trying to keep that um is, is really going to help um and also pre sort of um rolling so until they're rolling then having them swaddled i'm a really big fan of swaddling and again a lot of parents think oh my baby doesn't like being swaddled because they fight it they fight it um and that's often because we've actually tried swaddling them when they're already at that stage of being really overtired and if you think a four-month-old can't really tolerate any more than two hours of being awake quite often they get into that stage and then are really tired and it's much much harder as you all know to get an overtired child to sleep so um sleep environment super super important I'm a huge fan of white noise and um, Emma will vouch for this. I think it's, <laughs> it's one of those things where, um, and I know um, Henrik's a, a fan too. Oh, yes. um, white noise for me, I think is great. A couple of reasons re- really. And again, this is something you can continue throughout a child until a child's sort of, you know, four five or whatever age. Um, but particularly when they're really little, we're trying to emulate that sort of the womb and, um, you know, don't forget that sort of fourth trimester stage. We're trying to create that sort of tight environment, nice and dark, a bit of noise. They're not used to sleeping in dark and in, in, sort of in complete silence. It's quite unnerving for a baby. So constant white noise, not one that turns on and off, not one that's cryoactivated, just is on all night long and for all naps as well. And this at around three or four months will become a cue to your baby that it's time to go to sleep. And that's really helpful when you're trying to do some naps on the go or um, if you're traveling or you're asking them to sleep in an environment which isn't perhaps at home in their cot. So those are some of the the key things, I think, really. Um, You've got, um, obviously, temperature is obviously very key. And obviously, we're coming into the winter now, so making sure the room's not too cold. making sure obviously you're not putting too many layers on the baby between sort of 18 and 20 degrees is, is the sort of ideal temperature um, if it's getting much cooler particularly sort of three four in the morning um, when when bedrooms tend to drop a little bit in temperatures making sure they're not waking up because they're a bit cold so the environment white that's sort of i would say even for older children that's important um, but the other thing is also trying to keep for sort of older children, so let's say from sort of 18 months onwards, trying to keep their sleep space quite sort of clear of too much sort of um, noise. So meaning we've got the white noise on still, hopefully dark room. If they have to have a, a nightlight on, then keeping it to a sort of minimum, minimum light you could possibly use. But also trying to sort of tidy away their toys and not have like piles of books and things next to their cot which or, or their bed which is going to be really enticing to them at 5am when they wake mm-hmm. up and see their toy and they want to start playing with it so just trying to keep a sort of clear a clear space around their bed so that it's a calm um and not too overly exciting environment that's all such great advice. I was just going to ask, actually, which I forgot to ask you before. Um, I know a couple of my friends have started tying little sacks to the end of the cot. So when their little ones wake up, and we're talking about kind of two-year-olds now, um, when their little ones wake up, they can grab a book or grab a toy and then sit in their cot and then play. Now, with Amandine's room, it really is pitch black. So we've never done that because she can't see anything anyway to do yeah. that. Um, but is that something that if, you know, if the room is light or they sleep with a night light or, you know, the door's slightly open so they could actually see to play, is that mm. something you would recommend or not really? I mean, again, I think whenever each family is different, you know, and what, um, what your sort of sleep goals are and what you need. I'd say, you know, if your child's waking up at five in the morning and reading books, it's probably not going to be that beneficial for anyone. And the child mm-hmm. is, is inevitably going to be at that sort of constant back foot and being overtired. 
if they're happy waking up at sort of six thirty, and okay, they flick through a book and have a little chat and saying, and then at seven o'clock you go in, and it's all sort of happy and they're coping. I don't see a problem with that, but mm-hmm. I would say that if the child is um, is waking up sort of pre six thirty and, and and starting to play with their toys and, and looking, I'd look at maybe whether they're actually waking because they're overtired and um, whether that's actually perhaps too stimulating because. You know, if the child is there happily, I mean, there's nothing better than a child waking up happily being in their cot and, and or in their bed and just sort of having some time out and, and enjoying their sleep space. If it becomes a point where actually they're, they're it's being sort of it's detrimental because they are overtired and they are waking up super early and then the rest of the day they're not coping and bath time's a battle and bedtime's a battle, I wouldn't personally do it. I wouldn't. So for my twins, my twins are three and a bit three and three months I, I wouldn't be leaving books at the end of their bed and toys for them because I know full well um <laughs> they'd be up. <laughs> they'd be up even though the room's very dark you know they can also physically turn lights on and that you yeah. know suddenly and you know their independence suddenly becomes a, a really big thing and I think it's very difficult if you start that precedent of saying yeah you can get up and play with your toys they don't know really if it's sort of you know 5 a.m or 6 a.m yeah so they're old enough to tell the time so I'd probably just yeah hold off on the books and and try and try and get them back to sleep um probably um would be a better a better option but if it's working for you it's working for you again it just really depends on what works for you and your child and how about these lights you know the grow company I think or, or what used to be the grow company I think it's now mm. Tommy Teepee and they have a light where um I think when it stars your you you meant your, you teach your child that it's still bedtime go to sleep if you see the stars and yeah. then when when it's then when there's a sun on there you can wake up and you can play is that something you think is a good mm. aid or what's your view on those yeah do you know I'm I'm a big fan of them um however I think again it's one of those things and they're sort of like you know desperate exhaustion to kicks in and you sort of google everything under the sun and you go onto amazon and buy every sleep prop yeah <laughs> and that tends to be one of those products right so you buy it thinking that well you'll plug it in and you tell the child you know when the sun comes up and inevitably they don't they still wake up at 5 a.m or still fight, wake up at 5 30 and then they've got this sort of hour and a half of thinking well that they're not meant to get up yet the sun hasn't come up mm. how do you implement it and i think i use them with with my twins and they absolutely love it. The only thing is that they only work. It's only a tool, right? It's not a magic wand. So it mm. only works if you are consistent with what you're asking them to do. So if you say, you you know, you, you give them some boundaries and some rules. And I think by explaining before the sun comes up, you're going to stay in bed and you keep your eyes closed and quiet as a mouse and being. So trying to explain. And another thing, which I sort of mentioned before, is it's not it's not just, just saying go to sleep is too abstract for a child we need to explain what we're asking them to do and mm. what what we want them to do if they wake up early and the sun hasn't come up on the clock so if what when I normally suggest doing is around I mean before two and a half most children haven't really got the sort of um, ability to really understand the concept of a grow clock or, or similar there are lots of different ones out there but the grow clock as an example so I would typically firstly turn the light off so you can have the, the night setting which is the blue screen off entirely so there's just no light at all and it only comes up at the sun um you know whatever time you set it so my my boys wake up at 7 20 in the morning and they come running through and you know sun's Aww. up mommy come and have a look and making a real fuss of it and telling them they've done an amazing job every single morning that it's and not just going oh we've woken up five minutes before the sun's come up so what let's just let them up because if you do that you're undermining exactly what you're asking them to do does that make sense so it's having it work they work brilliantly providing you um 
you stick to it and you're consistent with what you're asking because um it, it is an alarm clock ultimately that's all it is um yes. but it's, it's just a tool that can be really helpful for children particularly at that sort of three you know when they're about three um and they're really sort of desperate to sort of become like really independent little people and be very grown up and they like it's their own clock and yeah so i'm a i'm a big fan providing their sort of use properly yeah Shall we move on to some of our listener questions because we have a lot. (laughs) So I have broken them into under ones and over ones as I mentioned before. So let's start with the under ones. So the first question that we're going to tackle is um, awake windows for a seven month old and my seven month old is waking through the night. So what would the appropriate wake windows be? So wake windows, um, when they're very little, are a slightly more sort of accurate way of telling when a child could go down. But at around seven months, um, it can really vary as an awake window. So wake window being when a child wakes up and when they need to be down asleep for their next nap or at bedtime without getting to that point of overtiredness, that sort of sweet spot, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, at seven months, it can be anywhere between sort of two and four hours, which is going to be no help at all to you what I would say at seven months is most children are still napping three times a day so perhaps still with that really short third nap in but anywhere between six and a half months and uh, eight months really that third nap may go which will mean then the awake window from when the child wakes up from their lunch nap ideally a nice long sort of two-hour lunchtime nap to bedtime should be a maximum of four hours that really is the maximum a seven-month-old can sort of go now what what it's the flip side of that we don't want them going to four hours in the morning for their first nap so trying to find the right balance in an age-appropriate routine which is where if I'm working with the family would work and try and find the sort of perfect amount of t- um, time your child can tolerate um, but I'd be looking for probably a sort of short morning nap a nice long lunchtime nap and maybe a short even up to like 15 minutes 20 minute nap third, third nap and then bed 637 okay so still, ro- second question, uh, mm. still rocking slash feeding my 11-month-old to sleep. How can I break the habit? Okay. Gosh, I think it's, it's one of those things where, again, it's not a problem unless you want to solve it, right? And yeah. if this is causing an issue and it's um, becoming problematic and you're exhausted, then that's where we need to sort of try and help the child fall asleep and learn how to fall asleep unaided. It's not as simple as, it's not going to be something I can just answer in a very quick question here. So I'm just going to explain roughly what we'd be looking at doing if I was working with a family who was being sort of um, aiding by rocking or feeding or um, shushing or bouncing the child to sleep. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the way they're falling asleep now is how they've learned. So it's because you've fed them or you've rocked them or you've shushed them or patted them or sung to them. And it's a learned behaviour. And, and what we would be doing is trying to sort of move away from that. A lot of the sort of emphasis I was working with a child at this age would be focusing on making sure they're getting enough food in the day and their feed structures are, are good um, and coming away from feeding them, particularly before naps, which which again, you're probably typically doing, um, so that they're going down um, awake. You know, again, that sort of typical sort of thing, you know, drowsy but awake, it's almost impossible to achieve. And if you're always for feeding them to sleep, that's how they've learned to fall asleep. So we, we come away from feeding to sleep, basically, and the only way to do that is to give it a go. Mm. And what I would then be giving you is a sort of, a, a sort of an array of different options and techniques to um, to assist them. So um, there's loads of different ones out there. And it's really finding um, what I'm a really sort of big fan of, finding what suits your child's um, temperament and personality and also your parenting philosophy. So um, we'd assist the child to fall asleep 
with a bit of assistance somehow to the point where they're actually able to just fall asleep unaided without you having to feed um, feed them to sleep. But it's possible, but it's not something I can um, yeah give a straight answer to unfortunately for um, for yeah if you're if you're feeding sleep. But it's it's basically teaching them another way of falling to sleep without it being reliant on the breast um, or or rocking. Yes, I mean Amandine, we do, I I fed her to sleep for a really long time because it was just yeah. a the way that she liked it and actually I really enjoyed it I found it really calming to the end of what was quite a hectic day (laughs) and it was really nice it's it's fine I think it's you know if your child is falling asleep at seven and then having a great night might be waking once or Mm. you know yeah, I think that's sort of fine I think if you're getting to the point where you're up every two hours Mm. and what typically happens at that age is you'll find that they wake up after a sleep phase has ended because what they're looking for is that, you know, if it's breastfeeding, breastfeeding again to sleep to push them through that sleep cycle. So what we want to try and find is something which is sustainable as a prop um, or sustainable way of them falling asleep again without the need of you or your partner or husband or anyone coming in and and assisting them at that point because Mm -hmm inevitably at some point they'll wake up because we all do that's totally normal past that four month sleep regression we all sort of wake up sporadically and that's a, again comes down to that sleep environment if they've fallen asleep on the breast that's what they're going to look for you know so we want to try and come away from that so yeah if they wake up have a little wriggle around and then they go off again without needing you to sort of actually help them yeah. obviously some children still need feeding at night and we look at everything with their weight and how they're sort of coping with everything else but um yeah, at eleven months, they should certainly be able to go through the night without any um, without any feeds, providing their weights weights good. Mm. Okay, so another eleven month uh, question: mm-hmm. wakes once at night and hard to get back to sleep. Wants to be cuddled or come into bed with us. Goes to sleep at bedtime in the cot. Absolutely fine. So again, it's probably just more about consistent response. Yeah. So what typically happens, right? We all uh, sort of, you know, all do this is that that your, your baby goes to sleep and that's great, and you're all tired. You know, everyone's tired at the end of the day, and then they wake up, and your only sort of only thing you have in your head is like, how do I get this child back to sleep again as quick as possible? And inevitably, that could be picking them up or holding them or putting them in your bed, and. If we are constantly changing, or which probably isn't changing, you're probably doing this every night. This whoever asked the question uh, is, um, if you're letting them come into your bed, or that's what you do to get them back to sleep again, that's just again, it's learned behaviour. That's what they expect. Mm. And so, um, what we want to try and do is respond to them consistently, so that if they wake up, that's fine. We're just going to resettle them back in the cot as opposed to picking them up and putting them in your bed. Because if you do that, it becomes a habitual um, thing, which they expect. Um, and again, if it works for you and they wake up and at 10 o'clock, that's when you go to bed and you like them being next to you and that's not an issue and you all sleep brilliantly all night, not a problem. But if it is causing problems, it's making you sort of really find the whole thing quite stressful. You're getting overtired and they are waking up more and more frequently overnight um, and struggling to go back to sleep again. I'd say probably looking at making sure their awake windows and their, their schedule in the day is right. So again, if you have some prolonged amounts of time when the child's awake, happily or not you know they might be just chatting in their cot I'd first be looking at their daytime sleep balance so are they sleeping too much are they not having enough sleep are they having enough physical um, exercise are they eating the right things so again it's really really sort of a holistic approach looking at every single little detail like a little puzzle to find out what's actually causing it in the first place Mm. and then providing we've ruled that out and we found out what's causing it we then 
um, yeah, consistency ultimately is the most important thing, right? Um, with um, trying to keep your child in their cot or in their bed and sleeping soundly. Mm. Another question: Tips to get baby to connect the forty-minute sleep cycles together. It's four months old, the little one. Okay, so the classic four-month sleep regression, which mm-hmm. we've all read, <laughs> um, or we've all gone through. If you, some of you, if you're with older children. The format sleep regression is a really interesting one because it's it's an actual change in their their sleep. You know, they've gone from this very sort of sleepy newborn phase and past this sort of fourth trimester, if you want, into um, a much more adult-like sleep. So very clear, distinct sleep phases and sleep um, cycles. So this forty-five minute cat napping behaviour is really really common. It's also the perfect time to start helping your little one learn how to stitch them together. So again, this all comes back down to environment. And if you imagine the child falls asleep in an environment which has then changed, so you may have helped them as like rock them sleep and put them down, and then they wake up 45 minutes later, they're going to be looking for what put them to sleep in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of it is just about being really consistent about trying to settle them. You know, if they're constantly doing, if they did like four 45 minute naps a day, it's not a problem, other than you constantly trying to get a child to sleep, um, which makes it quite stressful, you know, particularly when the weather's like this and you also think, oh, I've got another journey around the block in the pram, and what if they don't sleep? And so trying to really start from around to four months when that sleep, cycle becomes very prominent is the perfect time to really start looking at helping your child sleep um, link up these sleep cycles um, and and assisting them through into the next sleep cycle so really common for them to stir if we always get them off at 45 minutes all we're doing actually in, in essence is really reinforcing that catnap behavior so we want to try and help them if it's the right nap for them to be doing a longer stint then um, really helping them push through that sort of 45 minute mark and doing so in the day gives them practice and also will help them at night. So again, looking at making sure they're getting enough day sleep in, but not too much, which again can suddenly start happening if they're napping sort of constantly throughout the day. So um, yeah, so that's, that's like the perfect age really, if you want to really start looking at um, helping your child self-settle and um, and link up those sleep cycles. Um, again, easier said than done, I know, but that's where if you work with a sleep consultant, they can sort of help you um, help you do that and find a technique um, to help your baby. Mm. Eight-month-old wakes up every two to three hours for a feed, even after dinner. Uh, mm. Bed share, we share the bed, settles with boob. How can I break the habit? So this is this comes back really what we were talking about earlier about that's yeah. just how they've learned to fall asleep in the first place. So yeah. again, the, the the sort of classic two hour mark is a is a classic sign that's just the end of a sleep phase, and they're they're looking for whatever put them back to sleep again. And I suspect yeah they might be taking a couple of a couple of those fees might be sort of proper fees where they're actually taking milk. I suspect some of those fees are probably just sucking to comfort. Um, yeah. And if it's working for you, fine. But if not, then I'd really be looking at making sure um, the food they are eating is sort of contains enough protein they're getting enough sort of nice low gi foods the feeds in the day are really good feeds rather than sort of snacking as well so having really good stints and then overnight providing their weight's okay just having a bit of a, a rule now obviously when a child's co-sleeping next to you the easiest thing when you're sort of that sort of half drowsy state is just to feed them mm. right and, and they will almost sort of just latch on without you sort of even being aware um, so I would probably start looking at maybe putting the baby in the cot so that at least that sort of temptation, if you like, isn't just there right in front of them um, and that you are assisting them back to sleep without just instantly feeding them. And just trying to get a sort of, you know, three or four hour mark between each feed overnight um, to start stretching them for longer stretches of time. Um, 
so yeah it's, it's about how they're falling asleep in the first place so trying to get them to self-settle in the, in the first place will definitely help with those mm. wakings 10 month old sometimes cries for two to five minutes about one and to one and a half hours after putting to bed why might this be this probably sounds like um the baby's overtired so classic um sort of those sort of early evening wakings you put the baby down you're like oh great go downstairs make your supper and you sit down and then they wake up and you think oh my goodness what's going on mm. and normally again this can be totally you have to look at everything and particularly some digestive issues but typically if everything else is fine um it would be uh, about overtiredness so they've gone into a very deep heavy sleep very quickly and then woken up stirred cried out a little bit and then hopefully gone back to sleep again again if they go back to sleep it's not the end of the world but i would probably look at maybe bringing bedtime forward um mm-hmm. obviously i don't know what time bedtime is or um the sort of you know the rest of the day making sure they're not um overtired so i suspect that awake window between their lunch nap ending and bedtime is probably a bit long so maybe mm-hmm. bring bedtime forward okay baby goes down awake after correct wake window why are they awake after three hours does it say how old the baby is no. um no i don't know um it's so again i it will be really difficult without knowing yeah. because it's a newborn it could be that they're hungry mm-hmm. um obviously if a much older child again it's probably comes down to how their child falling, is falling asleep in the first place so if they're going down um and again, the appropriate weight window might be right or it might not be. Again, mm. don't forget in the first year, they're, you know, particularly the first year and first seven months in particular, the awake windows change so frequently and can change from like one week to the next. Even just like five minutes can, can make a huge difference. So um, tricky one. Whoever it was that put that one in, maybe sort of message me directly and I can help you a little bit more. Okay. All right. Last under one question, um, which I which I guess could be actually um, over one as well. But mm-hmm. baby sleeps much better in travel cot than his own cot. Right. Well, interestingly, I think travel cots tend to be quite a sort of cosy environment. They're sort of dark. Um, they're slightly sort of um, shielded. It might just be the comfort side of things. The, the mattress um, could be habit, um, but it could be just the darkness side of things as well. Now. If you've got a mattress in there, so again, you want a firm mattress rather than the, some travel cots, you know, have those um, almost like sort of hard, firm sort of surface as opposed to a sort of padded mattress. Mm. Um, not that comfortable going forward. There's no harm in a baby sleeping in a travel cot for sort of extended amounts of time, providing it's a safe environment. Um, but um, I would just get used, just get them used to uh, sleeping in the cot in their room and just take the travel cot out of the, out of the equation if you don't want them to sleep in the travel cot. Um, but if they're sleeping really well in the travel cot and sleep better in it, I just go with it for the time. It won't last forever. Um, and it could just be that they prefer the darkness. So I probably look also at like whether the bedroom is is sort of fully blacked out. So make sure there's no light um, coming in. The baby might just find it less stimulating being in the cot in the travel cot. Sorry, because it's got a lot of them tend to have sort of fabric, you know, mm. um, surround. So it may just be that they find it easier to switch off. Um, but babies are such creatures of habit. You know, it could just be that they have, have been sleeping in it for more time because you've been on holiday and they just got used to it. So um, they'll get used to a different sleep environment, i.e. their normal cot or proper cot, um, if you just stick with it and take the travel cot out of the equation. They're often quite low, aren't they, rather than being adjustable. So that yeah. often gives them this really, you know, like you said, being super cosy really and a little cozy. bit darker. Yeah. 
No, I think it's, um, my kids love travel cots. I mean, unfortunately, they're sort of like now obviously grown out of them, but they absolutely love them and um, always sleep really well in them. And I think there is that sort of cosy, sort of snuggly, yeah. safe, um, whereas in a cot, they're often quite high up. So again, just making sure perhaps maybe drop the cot level down closer to the floor if they sort of, that might help. Um, but it's probably just about this, just, yeah, they're just used to sleeping in the travel cot a little bit more perhaps from maybe having had some time away in the summer or um, sort of with um, some nurseries and, and childminders use them as well. So maybe they're just getting used to that as well. Yes. Uh, so drop the cot down and if not, stick to the travel cot, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now we're going to go on to the over ones. Now we have a lot of over ones. So it may well be that as we go through them, I'll still read out the question, but it might be that we refer back to an answer you've answered previously so we don't end up repeating ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so two-year-old, 26 months, nap refusal, same routine, but keeps standing up. Right. I mean, this could be loads of different things. The, the, there's a, sort of a, a regression, sorry, around two, which... Um, yeah, to, nap, nap refusal. Yeah, really, really common. So nap refusal um, is, is really common around two. It doesn't mean they're, they're ready to drop the nap for most children at two. From two and a half onwards some children are ready but it's closer to three um and that refusal i would just stick with it stick with it so what you tend to do is after sort of four days you think oh well they just don't need the nap anymore let's stop i'm not gonna offer it anymore and the flip side is it then you have this really really overtired child and you'll probably then end up waking up sort of super early as well because they're overtired mm. so two-year sleep regression there's a lot going on for them um they may suddenly start saying they're scared of the dark um, they they really come on with their their language really sort of comes on. They have this um, really interesting point where they start having a bit of difficulty sort of distinguishing fantasy from reality. There's a massive mm. amount going on for them. So if you notice any of that happening, there's nap refusal is is a classic example of the tear aggression or bedtime refusal. Um, it, it's it's classic. So what we want to make sure is with the lunchtime nap. If you're still aiming for a lunchtime nap, nap starting between 12.30 and 1, ideally, uh, for no more than two hours. Now, if they fall asleep and just do an hour, so be it. Um, if they are crying for like incessantly for an hour and you still haven't managed to do it, get them up and then just bring bedtime forward. Don't still stretch them out to that sort of bedtime. I think that's so often where we come unstuck because we have yeah. that sort of time in our head of like bedtime's always at seven o'clock forgetting what's happened in the day and if they're really tired inevitably the best thing is probably just bring bedtime forward yeah now i remember this very quickly just, my, my twins going through the sleep question 10 days solid point blank refusal of their lunchtime nap and i was on holiday on my own and i remember oh. it, it was awful and i was exhausted and they were they were exhausted and they were then waking up as a result of being overtired at 5 a.m but i just stuck with it stuck with it kept on offering it kept on offering it and it was it was typically again they were sort of saying they're scared of the dark and scared of noises and, and because we were aware obviously everything was a bit unfamiliar mm. anyway 10 days later all they're back into place again napping two hours and sleeping 12 hours overnight so my point is really stick with it don't suddenly think that they're ready to drop it um you may want to cut it back you know hour and a half might be fine if bedtime if they're napping fine at this age and then bedtime's becoming a bit of a battle just start cutting that nap back by sort of 15 minutes might just be temporarily while they're going through this sort of um bit of regression um but it's a really tricky one and it, it's probably like you sort of think you're through all of that at this age and then suddenly this happens and it's a really tricky one um but try, try and keep hold of it because um it's a it's a really tricky one but they do need their nap still yes so the second question is two-year sleep regression fighting bedtime, which I think we've just covered yeah. off in previous 
question. So again, obviously it depends if this, if this child isn't napping, I try and aim for a nap, even if they're yeah. not falling asleep, if they're having like 40 minutes quiet time in their cot, it's better than nothing, you know, yeah. even if that is, television isn't quiet time, so don't use that as a quiet time, but so in their cots, in their sleep space, we're giving the opportunity, we can't force a child to sleep, all we can do is give them a sleep space that's sort of conducive to sleep, but also support them if they need it. If bedtime is a battle, start putting down some boundaries. And quite often, again, I know we've sort of discussed this one before um, in your case, Emma, but mm. this this sort of negotiation starts creeping in as well. Of, yeah. One more story or one more song or this or one more time in the potty or no, I want four kisses from daddy and one kiss from mummy. And because you're so tired and desperate for the that you start doing it and you're going yeah. along with it. And then suddenly you end up with this ridiculous routine um, before bed. Um, and it's all about their control and their desire for control and desire for sort of order. So what I tend to suggest is if a child is starting to do that sort of like mass negotiation pre-bed is really giving them that control elsewhere in the day. So, okay, what do you want for lunch? Do you want chicken or salmon? Do you want to wear the red tights or the spotty tights? Do you want to wear, do you want to go to this park or that park? And so again, we're trying to give them elements of choice in the day, but it's not about bedtime. Bedtime is what you're in control of that situation and you're, you're setting the boundaries of saying we'll have one story or two stories in a song not 10 stories and 10 songs you know yeah. so again, which is just, what we were doing <laughs> right okay, which again is, is lovely but like, exhausting you've got way more patience than I do Emma <laughs> um, so just you know keeping it calm keeping it nice and also telling them what you're expecting them to do again it comes back to explaining what you want your child to be um to be doing and so closing your eyes and getting into bed and we're going to wait and then if you're using a grow clock re- reminding them what we wait asking them to do until the sun comes up so just constant reminding them what the boundaries are what the rules are and um yeah supporting them through this very difficult stage for them and I think actually that was the biggest bit of difference um and advice that you gave us that made such a huge difference was when uh explaining downstairs before we went upstairs exactly what was going to happen what we were going to do when we got upstairs the order everything was going to happen in that made such a huge difference because when we said to Amandine you have one more minute let's tidy up your toys and then we're going to go upstairs and do this that and the other she would literally we saw a difference within day one she literally would take herself upstairs and then Hendrik and I looked at each other and we were like what's going on because she knew what was happening and then she took the control because she knew what she needed to do which was go upstairs because everyone knows trying to force a toddler to do something well you're going to have a battle on your hands so if we're giving them the feeling of like oh well we've told them what's coming I think it's also when they are really immersed in play or enjoying something if we suddenly go right that's it bedtime yeah it's really hard for them to suddenly go well I I don't want to that's absolutely fine when we're going to trot upstairs and sort of be all you know compliant no we need to give them a bit of warning about yeah. what's coming and this is why this sort of whole routine um sense of order in a child's life is really important I feel at this age of, of, of giving them a bit of a heads up and saying okay we've got five minutes before we leave the playground or supper's in five minutes could you tidy away your toys and help me and getting them involved in the process and giving them some responsibility and letting them show that independence and helping them put the you know lay the table or whatever they're, they're doing yeah so that when they get to bed the element of control is not when they're sort of trying to sort of put all of their sort of independent streak comes out at 7 a.m 7 p.m which is which tends to happen 
So, um, yeah, well, I'm glad that, glad that helped with Armandine. Anyway. It really did. It really did. And she's so funny because we give her about, I don't know, 20 minutes of TV time at around five o'clock and um and just before dinner and she started being like no I want to watch tv I don't want to come and eat dinner so I've now started going over turning off the television and just saying you let me know when you're ready dinner's on the table you come over when you're ready and um and then she'll she'll kind of start waddling over and go ready now (laughs) because I guess I've given her that control you know it's giving yeah so some children I think probably if I did that with mine I suspect they would never turn up (laughs) (laughs) um but you know each child's different again and I think that's what we always have to remember is all our children and all our families and are all different and and Mm -hmm. what suits them and their personality when they're going through these really sort of there are big changes in their sort of understanding of the world to help them there are lots of little things we can do to help them which which hopefully at some point also impact and net positively their sleep mm. so um yeah taking that sort of holistic approach and looking at all aspects again rather than just sort of just bedtime being mm. a battle okay so let's move on 16 month old awake between 4 and 5 a.m bed is between 7 and seven fifteen with two naps a day okay so it may be that again, um, this is sort of general. It may not be right, but you're um, at 16 months. A lot of children actually just drop down to one nap. So typically right. between sort of 15 and 17 months is normally when that morning nap goes. So I'd be inclined to say that that morning nap is probably time to go. Now, if they're doing a very very big long morning nap, you may need to start cutting that back gradually. See if that helps. Um, but I suspect that. And then the other thing is also that awake window from lunch nap ending. So make sure at around 17 months, you can push that to around um, four and a half hours. If they woke up at 2.30, then bed at seven. But if it's at 7.15, I suspect, again, we're verging on that sort of side of being a little bit overtired. Mm. So maybe trying to find a nap between 12.30 and 2.30 and then bed at seven would be probably a good place to start and just dropping that morning nap now dropping the morning nap can take a bit of time to get them used to it so you may want to sort of cut back sort of gradually by 15 minutes depending on how long they're doing until it's fully removed now obviously if you can keep hold of it for 15 minutes and then everything falls into place again great you might be able to keep hold of it for another two weeks or another month but um if it's then impacting their nights i would just i just cut it and um, go back to just one one nap a day. And then obviously when they do drop that morning nap, you might need to bring lunchtime nap forward because they'll be really tired. And that's when you have babies sort of falling asleep in their lunch because they're so tired. <laughs> so just I'm watching for those like danger danger naps when you're out and about in the pram or sort of eleven o'clock from sort of snoozing in the car for fifteen minutes because that will throw everything out again. So yes. um yeah, probably cut down to one nap. So this is another similar question. They don't say how many naps they're having a day, but it it may well be that it's still two, so it's relevant. But 16-month-old, self-settles in cot, blackout blinds, white noise, but still waking twice a night. Could this be developmental? It could be about the naps, I guess, if if they're still having two naps. So it could be two naps. If they're on two naps, again, just like we just discussed, if they're having one nap, what is going to be really important is that that nap is long enough. Okay, if they're just doing 40 minutes, they're going to be exhausted. So we Mm. really need to make sure they're having minimum of hour and a half, but ideally two hours lunchtime nap um, and not longer. So if any more than two hours, they're probably going to be having too much day sleep. It's going to impact their nights. Um, So I would yeah look at dropping that morning nap if they're still having one. 
Um, and then if they are waking, just making, looking at how you're responding. So, so making sure you're not um, being too, uh, yes, too stimulating or that, or that you're sort of causing any sort of issues there. Um, but I imagine probably morning nap. And if not, then drop me a drop me a message and I can see if there's something else that we could change. And that was another bit of your advice that massively helped us as well, because I think we were definitely being too interactive with Amandine when she was waking in the night and we were going in. And when you told us to change it to just, shh, it's bedtime at a maximum, um, that yeah. really helped. And now I haven't had to go in to Amandine in yeah. the middle of the night for ages now. So I think, you helped. know, when you're trying to get a child to sleep, often again, we become quite so chatty, you know, and we mm. start saying, oh, what is it? What's the problem? Do you need mm. water? Do you need this? Or you know, come on now, it's time to go to sleep. And then before you know it, you've had this whole sort of conversation with them and they're probably not even fully awake. Mm. And in doing that, often we fully wake them up or they start having a chat with you as well. And then you, when you do walk out the room, they're thinking, well, hold on, <laughs> you're just having a chat with me and now you've walked out the room. Mm. Being in there and having minimal interaction so that your nighttime responses sort of ideally non-verbal or sort of minimal sort of chatting as possible, a bit of shushing, just reassure them everything's fine. Um, rather than going in and, you know, turning the light on and changing nappies and sort of starting off your bedtime routine again or just keeping it to a minimum interaction as possible is, is always preferable. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, refusing naps jumps out of the cot at 19 months. Oh, wow. Okay. So um, depending on the type of cot you've got, um, drop it down to the lowest level. Obviously, as soon as your baby is able to sit up, you want it always at the lowest setting. Now, some cots allow you to drop the mattress fully to the floor. So you actually take the base out. You could try that. Um, make sure they're in a sleeping bag. So that makes it much harder for them to get their leg over the cot bar. So if you've got a, if you've introduced a duvet, um, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. I'd put them back in a sleep bag. Um and ultimately, you know, if they are doing it, they, they will not stay in the cot. I would be sort of quite firm about saying, like, really try not to stay, to jump out the cot. But if they are doing it and you can't keep them in and they're going to cause danger and sort of injury to themselves, then you'd have to look at moving them out of, out of the cot into a bed. But just check it's a cot bed you've got them in because that will probably give you a bit more height. Mm. Um, so if they're just in a cot, then I'd probably move them into a cot bed, um, which would then transition into a, a toddler bed. But mm. sleeping bag for sure. And um, I would never normally put a child in a, in a, or transition them into a toddler bed before sort of the age of three, ideally, um, but closer to sort of two and a half at the very earliest, um, mainly because particularly at that age, 19 months, okay, they'll be running around and coming out of the room and trying to find you in the middle of the night as well. So um, I definitely put them in a sleeping bag if they're not already um, or drop the cot down to the very, very lowest setting, um, even removing the bottom slat. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so. I feel so lucky that Amandine hasn't even attempted it yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's very young to be doing it. A lot of children haven't got quite got that yet. Um, I just again sort of try and do some role play. So with the baby at sort of you know in the daytime, just sort of explaining when you're in the cot, you lie down and you close your eyes. Um, and if they do stand up and jump out of the cot trying i know this is hard not to shout or not say don't do that or giving any response again if we give them that response mm. whether it's positive or negative attention they don't care they've had a response from you they've got what they wanted and mm. and so just trying to keep it really sort of if they jump out walk over completely sort of um unfazed by the whole thing lay them down again and walk out and, and they'll hopefully give up and realize it's a really boring game because actually all that's going to happen is you be put back down into bed again mm. 
Or, you know, when I, when Amandine does something and I react, I just see her little eyes and they just go, go to these like evil little eyes of aha, you reacted to mommy. I got, <laughs> got you. Exactly. It's so, and it's so hard. It's, I mean, God, I'm telling you this, but at the same time, you know, even with my own children, I just know, you know, you know, those things, they just, they're not trying to manipulate, you know, they don't, that's not what they're trying to do at this age, but they're, they're trying to work out what the boundaries are, what's yeah. like, what's okay, what's not, what's going to get a reaction from mummy, what's not going to get a reaction. And, you know, and just pushing those boundaries. So, um, yeah, keep keeps us on our toes anyway. <laughs> God, it does. It really does. Um, okay, so toddler ha- hasn't said an, any age, but toddler waking between 4.45 and 5.45 every morning. Yeah. So probably down to overtiredness. So, mm-hmm. again, I don't know how old your child is, if they're napping. If they're not napping, I suspect they may need one. But the other thing is also, you know, if they're waking up typically at that time, what are you doing? What What is the parent doing? Are you going in and yeah. milk? Are they getting them up at that time of day? Um, it's very, very easy. Babies are sort of almost sort of, you know, sort of naturally always wake up early. But if we try and push that time out um, by keeping them in the dark, keeping our nighttime response consistent, um, not offering milk, not having any social interaction with them pre-7 o'clock, we're going to help them push past that as opposed to... Um, you know, going in and saying, okay, well, five o'clock, let's get up and go and let's watch telly downstairs or let them get into bed with you and watch, you know, TV on your phone or whatever it is, because I suspect there's either some element of, um, sort of interaction they're getting at that time, food, or they're just really overtired. Um, so yeah, probably just, yeah, it's very difficult without knowing a bit more on that one, but. Okay. This is, um, I think this is similar to one we actually answered in an under one. Um, loved feeding baby to sleep, but want to transition away. Toddler's now 14 months. So I imagine the older they get, the harder it is to transition away from feeding to sleep. Well, yes and no. I guess um, their, their pressure, you know, their, their sleep is different to that of a newborn. Um, mm. But it's amazing how quickly um, how quickly they do learn. So babies, I mean, they're, they're so quick at learning. And so although the habit is, is sort of longer formed because it's been there for longer, the sleep association, quite often they're much more receptive to it. So they'll, they'll, they'll get it very quickly, but it's about, again, consistency, you know, it's not chopping and changing one night feeding them sleep and then not another. It's really trying to sort of, so when I work with families, I typically work with them for two weeks mm-hmm. um, to really sort of iron out any issues. And during that time, I'll support each family sort of saying, okay, well, let's tweak this by sort of bring bedtime forward or push that nap out and really trying to work out what, is sort of helping and and I think if you're you're breastfeeding sleep at this age typically um looking at their feeding their feeds in the day is also really important I suspect this baby's also up a couple of times a night feeding so um yeah it's it's totally doable um but um it's just about a bit of consistency in terms of your response yeah same probably with this question 15 month rock to sleep and wakes in the night as wants to be close to me breaking the habit yeah, so again, it's the same. Again, it comes down to what they're used to, what they're expecting, um, and and really sort of laying down some new sort of um, new habits for them that they can pick up on, rather than um, yeah, rather than relying on you to pick them up and, and rocking them. Because the thing is, also the older a child gets, rocking to sleep becomes harder and harder, and they fight mm. it more. You know, when you're doing that with a three-month-old you know, they can be asleep within seconds. Whereas the older they get when they're having a conversation with you and when they're sort of jumping up and down, they're thinking, well, actually, no, hold on. I don't, I don't want to be doing this. I want to be, you know, playing with my toys. It becomes harder for the child to switch off. Mm. So again, for a child that's assisted to sleep, I'd always look at a sort of a gentle approach where we're sort of probably going to assist them physically 
settling in the cot and just gradually move the parent out or um, we'd, we'd look at finding something to sort of support the child because they're still used to having that physical presence. That's where maybe adding in a comforter if they haven't already got one would be a nice one for a child over one who can um, have something replacing that physical, um, that sort of object, um, yes. be it the parent, with something else to sort of cuddle and snuggle into. Yeah. Mm. So this one you have absolute first-hand um, experience of. Advice for twins sharing a room at two years old? Well, I mean, it's a... It's fine for them to be sharing a room. I've always had my twins in the same room. And I, I, in fact, I don't think I've ever separated twins when I'm working with them because twins actually tend to sleep quite well through other's no- other, each other's noises. Um, the main thing, I guess, again, consistency. When there are two children to contend with, whether they're the same age or different ages in the same room, there are obviously more, more sort of chances of one of them waking mm. or both of them waking. It's about being super consistent again. So keep them in the cots. The one thing I would definitely say, um, particularly with twins when they start sort of egging each other on to do things, um, is keeping them in cots for as long as possible. So I moved my boys out when they were three and one month into cot beds. Um, and I did it at the same time as transitioning away from their naps. So when we dropped the nap, um, in anticipation of them starting nursery in September, I, I decided to drop the nap and um, and do that at the same time. So their sleep pressure was sort of greater. Um, so that would be my sort of biggest tip. Also, again, making sure that all furniture, this is for all children, particularly twins, um, all furniture is attached to the wall, so nothing <laughs> loose. <laughs> and they start sort of climbing, clambering and using each other as sort of, you know, stairs. So just, yeah, making sure the room is totally, totally sort of childproof in that yeah. sense and no sort of bookcases and... and uh, We've all seen the videos on YouTube, haven't we, of toddlers sort of yeah. helping each other escape from cots. So, but no different to, to, to singletons, right? It's the same. We just make sure it's a safe sleep environment, um, that it's calm, it's quiet, and keep them in their cots um, for as long as possible. Okay. 32-month-old naps over an hour at lunch, has to wake him, takes ages to settle in bed. So, it, again, this will probably depend on what um, what's happening at, at bedtime. Mm. Um, it may be that you need to cut back on that lunchtime nap. Again, for any for any age from two onwards, but typically around two and a half, you want to start maybe looking at cutting back that lunchtime nap. Mm. So you may want just to start off by 15 minutes of, um, sort of taking off 15 minutes at a time. Um, but... Otherwise, I would, yeah, I'd start doing that and making sure bedtime routine is really slick. Again, making sure it's not ending up into this really sort of protracted, long stint. Bedtime for one child, try and keep it sort of under 30 minutes. If there's multiple children, probably going to be a bit longer than that. But from the point of being in the bath to into bed, it should be no more than 30, 45 minutes max for all children. And I think over that, we almost undo what we're trying to do with a bedtime routine. So, mm-hmm. um yeah, shorten the bedtime routine, shorten that lunchtime nap if necessary, and make sure they are actually staying in bed and not and not sort of having a sort of super early start to the day at sort of you know five thirty. Mm. Um, three and I think I meant to put three and a half year old comes into yeah. bed every night at four a.m. So again, it's about um, it'll just be a habitual waking at that stage of the night or early morning. We're in uh, we and children are in a very light phase of sleep. So it's often when nurses like dozing in and out. You might wake up and feel like you've been awake for sort of an hour and actually you've been dozing half asleep. So it's typically when children might wake up at that age. I'd also check that they don't need to um, use the loo, they don't need to pee. Um, and if not, then again, it's super consistent return to bed assuming they're in beds as opposed to cots 
um, as in they're not hurdling out of the cot. So mm. walking to your room without any response at all, other than holding the hand, walking them back, tucking them in and walking away from them. If you're sitting there with them, if you're letting them get into your bed, all of that's inconsistent response. Um, mm. And again, it's not a problem. If, if they're coming into your bed and you're happy with that, fine. But if you want them to be in their bed until they're meant to wake up, walk them back, silent returns, basically, silent returns. And again, I start using some reward charts at this age. So children at this age um, respond really well to sort of, you know, whether it's stickers or stamps or little tiny gifts, um, setting some boundaries of what you're asking them to do. So have they gone to sleep overnight and not woken up? Great, they get a sticker in the morning. And um, again, reward charts are great, a bit like the grow clock, providing you use them consistently and you're applying them and you don't just give in to giving them a sticker, even if they've been up all night. Mm-hmm. So full 30th, she walks into the room or he walks into the room without any fuss, hold the hand and walk them back. Now, what can often happen is the parent doesn't really even acknowledge or know that the child's actually got into bed because they're so quiet. and You have that sort of, they've just snuck in. If that happens, you can even just attach like a little bell on your door, something, put something in there so you can hear the door open. Um, And I would just walk her back to bed, tuck her in, say night night, your nighttime message, your nighttime mantra, which is my sort of what you say every single time you put them to bed and walk away. No sort of chatting about it's time to go to sleep, you know, it's too early, you know, you're gonna wake everyone up. It just keeps it really, really boring, basically. <laughs> yeah. Twenty-two month old drops daytime nap. Is it too early? It is, and I suspect it's back to that two-year regression. I suspect yeah. it's that, you know, all these regressions, when I say two years or 18 months, or it's, it's there or thereabouts, and I suspect it's probably just a sort of nap refusal. Yeah. Um, the very, very, very few children are able to cope um, properly without a nap at that point, and the, the ones that are dropping it. And you will have friends who say, oh, my, my child stopped napping at two, and it's not wrong. It's just they probably would have benefited for, for napping for longer. So I would just stick with it keep on offering a nap and eventually it'll come around again um, and make sure they're getting loads of activity you know I know at the moment with lockdown it's a bit tricky and some of some of us are sort of really struggling to get out and, and actually entertain your children make sure they're not sort of sitting watching telly all day um, make sure they're getting some fresh air take them swimming if you can take them swimming do as much physical sort of activity as possible yes. um, and then again back to this whole sort of trying to give them some elements of choice in their day and um, sense of order and sense of control from their world yes yeah 20 month old early waking at 5 a.m doesn't make it to 12 p.m nap falls asleep in the car at nine o'clock so i would avoid for a little bit letting them have that nap so probably just not getting in the car for a little bit if possible yeah it's a classic one so that that morning nap we don't want to nap really after 18 months and if they're having that even just 10 15 minutes in the car it's enough to power them through their lunchtime nap yes but it's almost like that morning nap is a continuation of their nighttime sleep almost. So if you see it as a night continuation, if they wake at five, they always know they're going to get that nap in the morning. Mm-hmm. There's very little incentive to push through later. So I would just, for as long as you can, for like a good week, good two weeks, try not to get in the car early morning yeah. so they're getting that sleep. Push them through. Now, it might mean that you have to bring that nap, um, their lunchtime nap forward to 12 o'clock earliest. Um, and you're going to have to really sort of fight to keep them up, and it's going to be probably quite difficult for the first few days. But once you start doing that, and they, you get this balance, because at the moment it's that sort of chicken and egg thing, right? It's like you know they need the sleep because they're so tired because they've woken at five. But if you don't break that sort of cycle, it's it's almost impossible to change. Um, so I would just try and get a week of where you're not. Now, if you are getting in the car and you have to get in the car at that time, um, then you need to really make sure that they're not starting day at five o'clock. So just keeping them in their cot the entire time up until seven o'clock, 6.30 earliest. Okay. But um, 
those those car naps can be a complete disaster. And so I, I just try just for, for a little bit to try and just avoid them entirely. Two and a half year old, how to manage nightmares. Can't sleep in our room as we have a two month old. Mm. So if they're really scared, I look at what it is they're talking about. You know, I think, again, um, their, their imagination's really sort of um, quite sort of, um, sort, of, well, sort of developing at this age. So their sort of understanding of fantasy and reality can become quite blurred. So watch watch out for any sort of cartoons, um, scary type cartoons, even possibly just cutting out television full stop. I think a lot of a lot of cartoons actually have a lot of sort of negative sort of, um, connotations around sleep, saying like, oh, no, I don't like sleeping or I don't want to go to bed or mm. um, I'm scared of the dark or there's ghosts. And all these things feed into their, uh, you know, into their heads and they, they pick up on these things very, very quickly. So I I'd, I'd try and be careful about that. If they're really scared, try and work out what it is. So we don't want to sort of say, yes, there is something to be scared of, but trying to understand what it is they're scared of. Is it the dark? Is it? If so, then we could just put a small, a small sort of nightlight on, try and keep it sort of red light as opposed to blue light. Um, if it's something um, that they're scared of um, school or they're scared of, um, you know, a picture. So one of my twins the other day just said he was scared of clouds. And I was saying, what is he talking about? Mm-hmm. And I've noticed we've got this sort of cloud, sort of mobile type picture thing on the wall. And he'd for some reason got this in his head that this was really scary. And, and so Aww. I just took it out and then that was fine. Um, but just trying to look at what it is and, and don't sort of dismiss their fears because obviously they are obviously able to but at the same time not allowing that to sort of spiral out of control where well you're terrified and, and saying oh are you scared are you scared of this because by in doing that it's also almost justifying something for them to be scared of you know we, mm-hmm. we want them to be going down feeling safe in their sleep environment so if they need light night light on fine i wouldn't leave the door ajar i think that's another great idea you're better off having the door closed but just like a tiny little plug-in night perhaps or um a comforter is a great one um, and just try and work out what it is and maybe steer clear of, yeah, any scary cartoons or books even. Yes, yeah. Uh, getting rid of the dummy at 15 months. So I guess it depends why you want to get rid of it. If it's to get rid of it because they're waking up endlessly throughout the night because they're needing you to replace it, then I'd work on them, teaching them to replace it. And doing that, you would do, um, you'd actually, rather than handing it to them or putting it into their mouth, is sort of patting on the mattress where it is or showing their hand to where it is. So, And actually, it's amazing how quickly they pick it up, but getting them to replace it. If it's just you just don't want them having a, a, a dummy anymore, it's quite a tricky age for them to get rid of it now. And I'd almost say you're better off waiting until they're a bit older than going cold turkey. If you do do it, um, be just be prepared for like a good couple, so three to four days of being a bit so bumpy. Um, because so pre-1 pretty easy to get rid of a dummy and then after that becomes not just about the sucking to sort of to sleep but it's also their coping mechanism for um often their sort of comfort in the day if they're feeling a bit wobbly about something or in the car so i'd start trying to only have it for bedtime and, and for nap times um and if you do want to get rid of it then i can definitely help you with that but you might want to have a couple of extra sort of tools and making sure that they're actually able to self-settle and self-soothe without having a dummy there Mm. Um, it's quite a big thing you know that that it's a a form of comfort um and it's a a sleep prop they've had probably since birth so um i would normally pre one say yes fine to drop and then after that maybe look at getting rid of it when they're closer to two and a half they actually have an understanding of 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 the dummy and and how to get rid of it right um right we have a few more questions let's try and whittle through them very quickly as i know we're (laughs) we're getting into a long old podcast um 22 month old cries for mum when wakes never wakes happy should i be worried 
probably just still overtired to be honest I think some children just need a bit longer to wake up um mm. so if, if that's the case just sort of gently letting them wake up if you're waking them up yourself if they wake up and they're always a bit grisly try to pick them up and sort of be in a sort of jolly mood with them and um just give them a cuddle on the sofa you know just give them a bit of time to come around some children just need that extra bit of time just to come around some are like raring to go and up and up and about um I suspect they're probably just a bit overtired still. So look at either extending lunchtime nap or um, earlier bed. Okay. Uh, 20 months refusing dad to do bedtime uh, routine since 18 months sleep progression. So 18 months has a bit of a separation anxiety spike. So it's about object permanence. So this is probably more about, again, I wouldn't just say, well, daddy doesn't do bedtime anymore. Get him involved. So get him back into the routine get him into just saying like this is you know although it might not be your preference we want daddy to also be able to do bedtime so going with it even if it means a bit of a battle making sure mom doesn't just step in every time daddy tries to put the baby to bed um and again it's about those boundaries okay this all starts around this age it's trying to establish some boundaries they're just working out what what they can get and what um what yeah what you're sort of going to uh, give into or not so I try and um, get dad involved as much as possible. If Even if that means mum's sort of going for a walk bedtime or um, being out of the house, um, I would, yeah, just encourage dad basically to do bedtime as much as possible. Okay. Is it okay for a 20-month-old toddler to be sleeping in the parents' room until he can ask to sleep by himself in his own room? I mean, it is, absolutely. It's, it's up to you um, and, and him if you want to wait for him to say that you could be waiting quite a long time that's the only thing so it may be when he's seven he might want to go into his own room um it depends again if he's got his own sleep space there then i would start personally looking at maybe getting them to actually sleep in their bed um but if it works for you there's no harm that's absolutely fine it's again it's about what works for you guys as a family if it's not working then it's time to make a change and if it's working then great Bedtime struggle as little one is already in a toddler bed, so walks out over a thousand times. It's <laughs> like just really boring, basically just poor, poor you. It's so tiring, you know, it's just getting their hand, walking them back into bed. Yeah. And even if you do that 40 times in a row, you want to be doing that with no sort of, you know, frustration, no element of sort of any form of response other than a silent return, and that is it. And they'll eventually give up, you know, but you could be doing that for three days, multiple times. And every time they come out of the bedroom, you walk them straight back and you keep on doing it, keep on doing it, keep on doing it. If they're getting anything else, getting into your bed, going downstairs for water, playing with their toys, having a cuddle and then going to bed, they're getting something from it. Mm. And that's what we want to try and cut out. Three-year-old wakes up around 3am most nights and chats for hours. How can I stop this? Probably developmental. Um, if they're napping, I'd probably look at maybe cutting that nap fully or certainly back to maybe even just half an hour. Um, interesting, between sort of 12 and 3, there, there's a, a, um, a lot going on in, in their sort of brains. So a lot of their sort of short-term memory consolidates into long-term memory. Get them, I know it sounds silly, but get them talking as much as you can in the day. Get them chatting to you, get them singing songs. Um, if they are waking up, though, and they're just chatting away, ignore it. Turn the monitor down and leave them to it interfering is actually going to sort of only prolong the whole thing mm. 
But I would just say it's probably just them trying to, their short-term memory is consolidating into long-term memory. All their physical growth happens at night as well. So there's a lot going on for them. So I would probably try and get them to, yeah, loads of chatting, loads of talking, lots of stories, um, trying to get them to really engage with their sort of um, their, their new vocabulary um, and singing songs, etc. So they get it out of their system, basically not practicing at 3 a.m. <laughs> Okay, last specific question, then there's just a few to finish on general questions. 21-month-old wants us to sit in the room while he goes to Mm. sleep. He used to go straight down. Okay. This probably started, I suspect, around the 18-month sleep regression, again, about that sort of um, separation anxiety, object permanence sort of idea. So I would just start off, if that's where you're sitting, gradually just move your chair every two days further and further out of the room, Mm. just keeping any interaction to shushing, calm... We know the child can settle, self-settle, because they've done it before. Again, just start gradually withdrawing yourself a little bit further away um, and using that for naps, settling at night time. So if you move a chair from position A and then B and then C, and then each day move your chair further and further away. Um, that's very generally sort of um, speaking. Um, but I would start just taking yourself out of the room because they just get used to that's now their new norm, right? It's you sitting in the room. Mm. If you come out of the room, that will become their new norm. Okay, so it's just 18 months, a lot of things start creeping in at this age. Um, just, yeah, it's that sort of object permanence issue which um, sort of crops up in that separation anxiety. Now, you've answered half of this question already about moving from cot to bed is preferable around three years, not not before. Yeah. So what about sleep suit to duvet? I mean, no rush. If you want to, from two, so I wouldn't introduce a pillow or duvet before two, if you want to start doing that from that age onwards, go for it. I'd almost say if you are doing a duvet, just be prepared for a couple of nights where they've kicked it off, particularly now it's cooler, mm-hmm. that they might get a bit chilly. Um, so make sure you've tucked it in really well on the side so they're not sort of it's not sort of falling off every five seconds. You can get some that have zips and all sorts of amazing things. But if it's just a classic duvet, sometimes just turning it sideways and tucking it in um, can help so it doesn't fall off. But I wouldn't necessarily, particularly if they're in a cot, necessarily take them out of a sleep bag because the whole thing about getting their leg over the cot bar and climbing out can Mm. start happening. So stick with it. Although we always have that sort of like, it's so exciting when they get to a new stage of like if it's weaning or, you know, going into the big boy bed or anything like that. It's always quite exciting to be desperate to the next stage. But sometimes just holding off a little bit is probably the best thing. So two earliest um, at any point. They can sleep in a sleeping bag until they're, you know, three, four, whatever age. Okay, so last question, um, which is, I guess there were two questions here possibly, but Mm. top tips for newborn sleep, but also when you have two children, so say you had um, a three-year-old and a newborn, so the three-year-old isn't really napping, but you want the newborn is starting to get into a routine. How does one manage all of that when you bring a new baby into the world and you already have a baby, uh, a toddler? Yeah, it's really hard. I think that's the thing when you're dealing with multiple children, you know, it might be two, three, four children in the household. Inevitably, the newborn is going to sort of try and fall into a bit of routine, but it's really hard. A bit of quiet time. um, So this is where sometimes occasionally cracking out that iPad is not a bad thing just to keep your toddler entertained while you're trying to get the baby to settle. Um, But also making sure your baby, the, the, the newborn, isn't expected to sleep in a really, really noisy environment downstairs, which is probably sort of quite loud with, with you know, toddlers, tellies, dogs, children, all sorts going on. Get them into that quiet sleep space, dark room, swaddled in their room and trying from that six month mark. The best 
sort of tip of when to start is when they give you the first social smile. That's when you want to start getting into a bit of a routine. That's always my sort of top yeah. tip of when to start getting into a routine. But you know, right at the beginning, your baby might be sleeping, um, needing to sleep every hour, in which case then probably putting, putting them in a sling might help. Um, but ultimately trying to sort of get them down out of that sort of noisy sort of, you know, um, environment of the household and trying to also explain to a three-year-old toddler is probably going to understand more than say an 18-month-old. Mm. A three-year-old, okay, I just need five minutes of sitting here quietly. Now, a lot of us have husbands working from home, which can be helpful and quite and not at some time. <laughs> Um, so if that just means, look, I've got, I need five minutes if you just watch them so that they're not sort of, you know, turning on the oven and stuff. Then, so you said to the baby, great. Um, but a lot of it at the moment, when the, particularly that newborn stage until they get to that sort of four month mark and things calm down a little bit is just juggling and, and keeping going. And if that means naps on the go in the pram, it means that. Um, so it's, it's just a bit of juggling and it's, it's not easy, but I think again, that's where if I worked with a family, it's just trying to find something that works for, for a routine that works for toddler as much as the baby, because if you're dealing with a, a household with four different children on different schedules and different mm. pickups and everything else, it can be really tricky to try and actually get those naps in. And that's where trying to um, establish that um, really helps. So bath time can be a really tricky time, right? You end up with both children really overtired because you're pushing it out and out and out. And then this newborn's exhausted by the time they actually get around to dealing with them. Mm. More often than not, put the newborn down first and then deal with the toddler. Okay. Yeah. Amazing advice, Hattie. Thank you so much. We have finished the mammoth. <laughs> the well, mammoth list of questions. Some of you, um, but again, you know, if there's anyone who is in a bit of really tricky situation or finding um, things a bit sort of difficult, it is all fixable and it is able to sort of get things on track. Um, you can just get in touch. And so, how can they do that? Can you just let them know how to how yes, how so best to get in touch? website um there's a sort of just a, a form you can fill in get in touch with me via that or instagram um at not another peep um it's also absolutely fine so um either through my my website or at not another peep um any of you that have perhaps asked questions and if you didn't fully understand obviously by all means you can also book in i offer a free, free 15 minute call to any potential clients that want to just have a a bit of a sort of understanding about how i work and and the sort of process and um for me to understand your situation and your sort of goals um so yeah you can book one of those in if um you yeah if you were interested in, in taking things further and I have to say that Hattie has helped us so much with Amaldine. Amaldine has gone from waking up three, four, five times a night to not waking up at all. Or if she does, it's just a brief nightmare and she's self or, or, or a brief little cry out and she self settles. So I am not going to have yep. to go in anymore at all. And then we're just uh, working with Hattie still to get the wake up time a little bit later but we're now at 6 30 yeah. which i can't really complain with 6 30 no, especially with the time change we've all gone through that dreaded clock change oh, so God, yeah. also had that to contend with so no um she's doing really well and it's it's um yeah it's been a pleasure to join you thank you so much for having me oh my pleasure thank you so much for coming on and there we have it. Hopefully all of your sleep questions answered, or some of them at least. Um, we did our very best to get through all of the questions and I really want to thank Hattie again so much for her time that she gave us today to cover everything. Do take Hattie up on her offer to um, get in touch with her and talk anything 
through with her further if you weren't clear on anything she said today or if you want to ask her some more questions then definitely get in touch so thank you guys so much for listening if you enjoyed today please 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 um, write a review if you haven't done already Um, it's really lovely to always read them and receive them and it gives the podcast a little bit of a boost which hopefully then makes it visible to more mums who are after this kind of podcast Um, always remember to subscribe and I will see you guys next week so I think next week you've got me um, next week and I will pop as I always do a little question box on Instagram anything that you want to answer so make sure you are over there following me at mum talk podcast on Instagram I will be doing what I said I was going to do at the beginning of this series with the Instagram and the grid feed. I want to really use Mum Talk as a platform for every mum's voice to be heard and for us all to come together more as a community. So if you want to get involved with that, then pop me a DM. Um, I'm trying to get my head around it at the moment and the best way to do it. So pop me a DM on Mum Talk Podcast on Instagram and we can get chatting about featuring you and any questions and, you know, just building the community. Lots of love to you all. Have a lovely rest of your week. I will see you next week. Bye.